through the southeast neighborhoods. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, Kathy and I used to be neighbors in that, in that uh, area. And I got to tell you, they need love. They need Christ, and they need Christ magnified in that area. So I encourage you, please join us in serving that community on the 16th. We need greeters, we need kitchen help, um, and we need people who are willing to serve throughout that meal. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be a great time. There's going to be Santa Claus. There's going to be gifts for the kids, which is another thing that we really need your help with. Uh, we need gifts donated so that we can give those gifts to the kids. So uh, there's more information. If you would like more information on all of that, um, see the slide. Take a picture of the slide. There's a flyer on the chair next to you. Pick that up and look at that as well. But with that, that's enough of me. And I'm going to invite my my handsome husband. Well, praise the Lord. That's a, that's a lot of highlights and a lot of Christmas-themed highlights, which means we're moving into my favorite time of the year, um, Christmas. How, how, how many of y'all enjoy Christmas? All right, good. 50% of us. Um, I love it. Well, hey, we're going to continue our series through the book of Joshua this morning. Um, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 8, so if you have your Bibles, uh, feel free to open them up to Joshua chapter 8. Uh, we'll get there in just a couple moments. But one of the things that I want to do before we dive into the text is I want to briefly review some of the things we talked about last week. Um, last week, we, we, we talked about chapter 7. Uh, we talked about uh, Achan, or Akan, um, as, as it is pronounced in other places, um, and his sin, uh, and as a result, the sin that caused Israel to fail in their uh, battle against the city of Ai. Um, but before we talked about those things at the end of the message, the, the majority of the, of the service talking about uh, how do we wrestle with the questions of how can a loving God um, command um, utter destruction? Uh, and we wrestled with it. And uh, a couple of you uh, were... were um, so candid with me to tell me after service that, uh, Pastor Matt, uh, you looked really nervous before you started. <laughs> and I was. It was a heavy subject. Um, it, it still is a heavy subject. Um, but some of the things that were in my notes that I didn't cover last week that I want to make sure I come back to this week. Um, I gave 12 different viewpoints. Uh, one of them is the viewpoint of the atheist. Uh, but the remaining 11... Uh, fall within the lines of what would be considered orthodoxy. Um, being able to be a true follower of Jesus, you could choose to ascribe an answer to the question. Uh, there are more answers than just the 11 uh, orthodox answers that were presented last week. Um, and, and a couple of you, we talked in the lobby after service about those, and, and there was good conversation uh, but the thing that I really want to emphasize, and I said it kind of at the tail end last week, but I want to re-emphasize it this week. Um, no matter where you fall on God and justice and the Old Testament accounts of narratives and of history and of stories, um, there can be hard questions. Uh, and it's okay to actually remain in a place of having a hard question. Uh, not fully satisfied. The reality is um, Jesus and what he did on the cross for you and I, that is order of importance number one. 
Um, and to anyone who has doubts about Christianity, uh, to, to your friend, your neighbor, a family member, an atheist who says, I like the idea of Jesus. I want to believe in Jesus, but I have a hard time justifying the things in the Old Testament. Um, pause them there and say, don't throw Jesus out just because you have questions about the Old Testament. Um, put your faith and your trust in Jesus. And then let's struggle and figure out questions in Scripture. Um, because that's one of the beauties of Scripture is we get to wrestle with it. We get to struggle with it. We get to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to us truth. Um, but let's not throw Jesus out because we have questions. Um, and so if you're sitting here this morning looking at everyone, I, I know pretty much everyone out here, um, you've put your faith in Jesus. Praise the Lord. Um, and so this, this conversation or this discussion is not necessarily pointed at you, but maybe it is tools to put in your tool belt for when you are witnessing to neighbors, coworkers, family members, friends who, who are truly questioning um, scripture. Um, say, hey, let's, let's land on Jesus, for he is the author and the finisher of our faith. And then let's work through the things in scripture. Amen? Amen. Okay, that's, that's uh, uh, just a little bit of recap that I wanted to hit coming off of last week. Let's read the text this morning. Um, we're going to read the whole chapter um, because this is an exciting chapter. Um, it's going to bring up questions again that we addressed last week. And so if it brings up those questions, just go on last week's message and we'll wrestle with it in the past so we don't have to deal with it this morning. Amen? So this is what it says, picking up in verse 1 of chapter 8. And Yahweh said to Joshua, do not fear and do not be dismayed. We could put a whole sermon right there. I think we did a couple weeks ago when God told Joshua, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear, do not be dismayed. Take all of the fighting men with you and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people and his city and his lands. And you shall do to Ai and to its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoils and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. So Joshua and all of the fighting men arose to go up to Ai, and Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them out by night. And he commanded them, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you remain ready. And I and all the people who are with me will approach the city, and when they come out against us, just as before, we shall flee from before them. And they will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city. For they will say, look, they're fleeing from us just as before, so we will flee before them. And then you shall arise and go from the ambush and seize the city. For the Lord your God, Yahweh your Elohim, will give it into your hands. And as soon as you take the city, you shall set fire to the city. You shall do according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. So Joshua sent them out, and they went to the place of ambush and lay between Bethel and Ai, to the east of Ai. But Joshua spent the night amongst the people. Joshua arose early in the morning and mustered the people, and he went up he and the elders of Israel before the people to Ai. 
And all the fighting men who were with him went up and drew near before the city and camped on the northern side of Ai with a ravine between them and Ai. And he took about 5,000 men and set them in an ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. And so they stationed the forces, the main encampment that was to the north of the city and its rear guard west of the city. But Joshua spent the nights there in the valley. And as soon as the king of Ai saw this, he and all of his people, the men of the city, they hurried out and went out early to the appointed place toward the Arabah to meet Israel in battle. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all of Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled in the direction of the wilderness. So all the people who were in the city, they called together and they pursued them. And they pursued Joshua and they drew them far away from the city. Not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. They left the city open and pursued Israel. And the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out your javelin that is in your hand towards Ai, for I will give it to you into your hands. And Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand towards the city. And then the men of the ambush, they rose quickly out of their place, and as soon as they had stretched out, and as soon as they stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it. And they hurried to set the city on fire. So when the men of Ai looked back, and behold, they saw the smoke of the city that went up to heaven, they had no power to flee this way or that way. For the people who fled the wilderness had turned back against their pursuers. And when Joshua called out to Israel, and Israel saw that the ambush had captured the city, and that the smoke of the city went up, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. And others came out from the city against them, so they were in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side, and Israel struck them down until there was left none that survived or escaped. But the king of Ai they took alive, and they brought him near Joshua. Israel had finished killing all of the inhabitants of Ai in the open wilderness they then, uh, where they had pursued them, and all of them to the very last had fallen by the edge of the sword. All of Israel returned to Ai and struck it down with the edge of the sword. And all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all of the people of Ai. But Joshua did not draw his hand, which he had stretched out with a javelin, until he had devoted all of the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. Only the livestock and the spoil of the city Israel took as their plunder, according to the word of the Lord that he commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap of ruins, as it is to this day. And he hanged the king of Ai from a tree until evening. And at sunset, Joshua commanded that they took down his body from the tree and threw it to the entrance of the gate. And the city was raised over it, a great heap of stones, which stands there to this day. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal. Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool, and they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all of Israel sojourned, as well as the native born and the elders and the officers and their judges. They stood on opposite side of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim and the other half were on the front of Mount Ebal just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded them at first to do and to bless uh, the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law and the blessings and the cursings according to all that was written in the book of the law. 
And there was not a word of all that Moses had commanded Joshua that he did not read before all of the assembly of Israel, women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that your word is living and active. God, that your word is decisive. God, that your word is true. And that as the lilies of the field and the grass it fades away, it withers up and dries, God, the word of God endures forever. So Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity we get to study your word, to read your word, to meditate on your word. God, to, to memorize your word, to obey your word, to live out your word. God, we pray that this morning you would reveal to us truth. God, that you would inspire us in our everyday lives. God, and that we would live more for you and more like you in all that we do. Lord, we worship you and we praise you. God, I pray that these would not be my words, but God, that you would speak through your word to us. And God, that we would leave this place transformed from the inside out. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Pretty interesting story. It just finished Jericho, greatest city in all of Canaan, leveled it. God gave them victory. God gave them a command. They didn't follow the commands. They got full of themselves, and they saw this little outpost of Ai between Jericho and Bethel, and they said, we can take it. So they went. Joshua just sent a small group, and they were destroyed because sin had occurred at Jericho. God revealed the sin. The sin was dealt with, and God told Joshua, don't fear. Go take the city. And God gives Joshua a plan that is... Uh, Good plan. Remember we mentioned a few weeks ago that when they crossed the Jordan River into Canaan, uh, the military strategy did not seem very good. Um, injure yourself for seven days and leave yourself wide open to enemy attack, cross the flood season. I mean, crazy military strategy, but God was in control. Uh, now we see like some strategic moves of God. He says, okay, you're going to put an ambush behind the city. You're going to feign that it's a failure. You're going to draw them all out, and then you're going to attack from behind. I mean, it's brilliant military tactics. Uh, and there's some spiritual application to be drawn from this, which we'll get to in a few short moments. But before we dive into some spiritual application, uh, it's been a couple weeks since I've done a historical background or an archaeological um, study, and so we're going to do that right now because the city of Ai is awesome. Um, there is a uh, set of ruins um, known as Et-Tel um, there in um, Israel, uh, and most archaeologists and scholars believe that Etel is the, the site of the biblical city of Ai. It is near Bethel. Uh, it is near Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. It is near Jericho. It's near uh, the Red or, 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 or the Jordan River. And uh, most scholars and archaeologists believe that Etel is I. Um, interestingly, uh, the name I, um, it literally is translated as ruins or heap of stones or ruin heap, um, which is a fitting name for a city that we just read was burned and turned into a heap of ruins. Um, but many scholars and archaeologists, they use I as ammunition to question biblical authority. Um, they've 
done extensive digging at Etel. Um, it's been extensive, but Etel is barely even excavated. It's, it's a big dig. Um, but what they noticed is the city of Etel, these archaeologists, it was destroyed in the early Bronze Age. Um, for those of you who are tracking the historical progression, uh, the book of Joshua takes place in the late Bronze Age, early Iron Age. So according to archaeology and all known history of this region, Etel uh, was destroyed thousands of years before Joshua and the conquest, which whenever archaeologists say about the Middle East, atheists love to jump on it, uh, just as much as Christians love to jump on it when it goes in our favor. Um, so many atheists and those who are skeptics say, look, the book of Joshua, it's got to just be myth. It's got to just be like uh, a, a clever rereading of the Israelite history by those who wrote it 200 years before Christ, uh, as opposed to being written there in the late Bronze Age, early Iron Age. But um, this attempt to undermine scripture uh, falls short very quickly. Um, and it falls short very quickly when we just reference the name of the city it's a heap of ruins and so when you hear that and when the atheists hear that they say well clearly it's called a heap of ruins because it's anachronistic they're reading back there was a, a heap of ruins and so they're just calling it heap of ruins but the beauty is the city was called I long before Joshua and the Israelites destroy it here in Joshua chapter 8 it was called I uh, earlier in the book of Joshua it was called I during the time of Genesis, it was called I in Genesis 12, verse 8, when Abraham sets up an altar right near this city outside of Bethel. Um, cool archaeological stuff, and, and I probably can't get into the details of it this morning. But um, I uh, is very much connected to Bethel. They're very close cities. We just actually saw that all the men of I and Bethel came out after the children of Israel. Um, most Bible-believing archaeologists, when they hear Etel was destroyed in the early Bronze Age, uh, they actually say, yeah, we agree with you. That's a reason why it was called ruins. They never rebuilt a city on that. Whereas archaeologists who were looking at Jericho, they, they're, they're trying to find the wall. They're trying to see how the structures of these fortified cities look, and that's what they're looking for. They'll say, well, I was never a fortified city. Did the Bible ever tell us I was a fortified city? No. There was no walls. There was nothing that was being torn down. They were entering into the city. Um, archaeologists uh, believe that I was most likely a lookout or a garrison city for Bethel that had a small force of, of soldiers that lived there. Uh, because it didn't have a wall, chances are it didn't have stone housing, just like you would see at Jericho. Uh, but I most likely was a temporary town um, that was set up as kind of like a way station for Bethel. It would be much easier to burn if it wasn't rock, right? So, so, so it archaeologically starts tracking up. And then you get to the reality that if it didn't have stone walls and it didn't have stone homes and then it was burned and it was piled into a heap on top of already ruins, we would have a hard time finding evidence of the biblical accounts. And that's why I love what many apologists say. They say absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. That's important for when we're doing Bible study and when we're trying to cross-reference the Bible with ancient history and all those kind of things. Absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Um, so many believe, and, and it, is, it is 
the, the standard majority believe that I is Etel, um, and that Etel at the time uh, was an outpost city, then it correlates and lines up with the biblical text. I think this is really cool. Um, there's great documentaries on this as well. But let's jump into some of the main points of the text. God tells Joshua not to be afraid. Um, how many of you always need that reminder from the Lord? Hey, Matt, don't be afraid. Be strong of good courage. Um, it's an echoing of what was said to Joshua in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, and again reiterated to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Joshua takes this plan from the Lord. Uh, it's, a, it's an interesting plan, as God's plans always seem to be, and he takes it and he runs with it. Um, zooming out of the story, as, as, as we're looking at some key points, Joshua is commanded to stretch out his spear, his javelin, towards the city of Ai once they've retreated. Uh, and it's reminiscence of Moses there when they're having battle against the Amalekites, raising his staff. And as long as the staff was in the air, the Israelites were victorious above the Amalekites. Moses gets tired. He begins to rest his arms. Aaron and her, they come, they help his hands up. And Israel gets the battle. Joshua, we're told, continues to keep the spear above his head, pointed at the city until the battle is won. Joshua then goes from this place to, uh, to Mount Ebal. And for those of you who've been here for, for some time, you might remember the story of Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. As we were reading Deuteronomy chapter 27, Deuteronomy chapter 28, Deuteronomy chapter 29, is, is this instruction from Moses to the children of Israel. When you go into the lands, you will go and set up between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim and you will build altars with, with uncarved stones and you will paint on them every word of the law. You will not skip a word and then you will have half the tribes on one side, half the tribes on the other and one side will shout out cursings and then everyone will echo amen and amen and then one group will shout out blessings and it will be this amazing spectacle there in the valley of Shechem with Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal uh, and, and we spent a lot of time talking about that a couple weeks ago um, but now we get to talk about Mount Ebal, because this is really cool. Um, in 1980, um, an archaeological dig by uh, Adam Zertal, they go to um, this, this region and they uncover um, an ancient altar. Uh, and it's a really cool altar. Um, and it's right in the place where the Bible says Joshua built an altar. They did dating, and it dates right to the time of the conquest. Uh, they found uh, bones and ash um, that correlate with Israelite offering practices uh, dating all the way back to this time. Uh, and there's so much more cool archaeology about that. Um, but Mount Ebal uh, holds a very important place uh, for the children of Israel. Mount Gerizim holds a very important place for the children of Israel. This, this valley, this Shechem, is like smack dab in the center of the Holy Land that God had given Israel. This is the place where Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12, builds an altar to Yahweh. Uh, and all these years later, Joshua is told to build an altar here yet again. It is here that Joshua then writes down all of the words of the law of Moses, just as it was commanded to him in Deuteronomy chapter 27. Uh, that would be a long job, uh, but he did it. Um, and there's an importance to the word of God, and we're going we're gonna to get to that in just a few short moments. Uh, the tribes were divided in two, six on one side, six on the other. They shouted blessings and cursings to fulfill what Moses had them to do. 
By way of application, a couple of things I've, I've written down for this morning. God's ways are tricky, um, but God's ways are awesome. Um, the way he sets things up, the way Joshua, uh, they've dealt with sin, so the victory is, is, is going to be theirs. Uh, and so again, there's a way that seems right to man. Joshua could have had military strategy. He could have known exactly what to do. But in this moment, who does he turn to? He doesn't turn to his generals. He doesn't turn to his advisors. He turns to God. And God gives him the plan, and it's a plan that they should follow. This last week at our Thursday night Bible study, um, we, we had the opportunity to go through Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. And this isn't a plug for Thursday night Bible study. But this last Thursday, we had like 50 people. We had Thanksgiving dinner, and we spent uh, an hour doing Bible study together. It is a plug. You should come to Thursday night. If you, if you can make it Thursday night, a lot of you go to Thursday night already. Uh, come join us on Thursday night. But we, we, we talked about Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, where it says, The word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, cutting through the bone and the marrow into the soul of the Spirit, reveals to us the motives and the intents of our heart. Uh, and, and we talked about there's the... the we get in our mind of a great broadsword, and uh, I think of William Wallace uh, charging uh, the English forces there in the Battle of Bannockburn. Uh, Claymore in hand, freedom running. I mean, this is military awesomeness, sword awesomeness. Um, but the author of Hebrews uses the Greek word makaria there for sword, which can mean broadsword, more likely means short sword, uh, but many theologians believe it means scalpel or surgical tool. Uh, and it talks about how we use the word of God. Are we using the word of God as an offensive weapon to tear things down? Or are we using the word of God as a surgical tool to get to the heart of the matter? Um, and it's, it's interesting because man's way is we use a sword to fight our enemy. God's way is we use a surgical tool to pull the sickness out of the enemy and to pull the sickness out of ourselves. Um, and, and the correlation I see to this with children of Israel here at the city of Ai, they could have charged full on, but God had a different way he was going to do it. And he extracted from behind, and then they won the day. And so I think there's some, some spiritual correlation there for how we use God's word. But what I want to talk about for the remainder of, of our time this morning is the children of Israel, their victory at Ai, and the victory that you and I can have in our life as followers of Christ. First and foremost, God uh, encourages Joshua. And as a result of God encouraging Joshua, the children of Israel were encouraged to do what God had called them to do. And in your and I's life, the more time we spend in God's word, the more encouragement you and I will receive from the Lord. God's word is encouraging. How many of you know sometimes encouragement comes in the form of correction? Um, I remember when I was uh, uh, in the weight room a lot, um, our strength training coach uh, would, would, would come and he would correct some of the things that we were doing because he was extracting and drawing out of us something he knew we already had within us. Um, and so that extraction, that correction was a form of encouragement because then as a result, when we did things with proper technique, we were able to lift more weight and we got better results. And the same is true as we read God's word. Sometimes it's just blatant over the top encouragement other times, it's correction, and it removes and, and pulls things to the surface so God can deal with them so that we can do what he has called us to do. Joshua, he followed Yahweh's plan. How many of you know that in our life, God has a plan for us? 
And how many of us we follow God's plan to a T, 100%, 100% of the time? Anyone? No? Okay, yeah, no, my hand's down too. Um, we should. Because often we find ourselves asking questions why we are having roadblocks or barriers, why we're not seeing victory. And often we'll allow ourselves to we are doing 100% of what God has said 100% of the time, but we deceive ourselves. The number one warning in the New Testament from Paul the Apostle is to not be self-deceived. Uh, we need to check ourselves and see if we're following God's plan. Joshua used every resource and the best resources. Um, he, he uses every bit of battle tactics there are. He's faking a, a retreat. He has the ambush coming from behind. Did you know that you and I, as followers of Christ, we have the best resources? The word of God, prayer, worship. I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about us. We are strong together. Let's use one another. And lastly, Joshua looked to the Lord. In your circumstances and in your situations, how often do you look to the Lord? Not, not just for a couple moments when it seems easy, and then you might not see the results, and you say, okay, well, I'll go try something else. No, do you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus? Israel stood between two mountains, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. And as believers, we also stand between two mountains, Calvary and the, the future return of Jesus on Mount Olives. One where Jesus died and one where Jesus will return. And in this life, there are blessings and there are cursings as well. And if we live for our own pleasure and try to do things our own way, we'll incur a life living outside the blessing. But if we seek to live for Christ, we can see his blessings in our life. Israel's example, and I'll invite Mariah to come back up as, as, as we're going to close here in just a moment. Israel's example thus far in the book of Joshua and in Deuteronomy previous, uh, there's a pattern that arises. Um, I read the pattern, and we're all going to remember, yeah, that sounds exactly like Israel. So I want us not to think like that. And I want us to imagine ourselves and see if this pattern aligns with you and I as well. When we obey the Lord, this obedience is followed by victory. When we have victory, that victory is followed by blessing. Then blessings seem to be followed by pride and disobedience. Disobedience is then followed by defeat. Defeat is followed by judgment. I love this. But judgment is followed by repentance. And repentance is followed by obedience. And again, obedience is followed by victory. Victory is followed by blessing. Blessing is followed by pride. And Israel just seems to go through the cycle over and over and over again. Paul tells us that these things were written down for our admonition. They say history repeats itself. It's a catchy phrase. It's not always true. They say a wise man learns from his own mistakes. A wiser man learns from the mistakes of others. 
throwing around a lot of cliches. But the reality is the stories within Scripture are not just historical. They are historical, but they're not just historical. They're not just narrative. Yes, there's narrative, but they're not just narrative. These things were written down for us. We are able to extract these patterns so that we can examine our own lives, so that we can work out our salvation with fear and trembling, so that we can examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. We can look at these and remind ourselves not to be self-deceived, but to know that there is a God who sits in thrones, who's given us the tools, given us the resources, given us the game plan. And he calls on us to be obedient, to submit ourselves to him, and to crucify ourselves daily, to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. Pride seems to be the sneakiest one of them all. I think it's why First John tells us that pride of life will tear us down. And we are not called to live according to the world, but according to God's standards. So I want to encourage you this morning, focus your eyes on Jesus. Learn from Joshua. Joshua put his eyes on the Lord, sought the Lord's plan above his own, took the Lord's encouragement and saw victory in his life. And Joshua is a lot like you and I. He's just a man. Nothing super special other than he believed what God said and he did it. So you and I in our lives, we can live like Joshua, we can lead like Joshua when we keep our eyes fixed and focused on Jesus. Let's live in victory. Let's live in obedience. Let's experience the blessings that come from the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much. God, help us in circumstances and situations when things seem bleak. Lord, may we keep our eyes fixed on you the author and the finisher of our faith. God, you are good. We love you. We thank you. In your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Would you stand and worship with us this morning?